Welcome to Ignite Depot. My name is Apostle Milton Jones. I want to take the time out to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a blessed and prosperous New Year. We know that Jesus is still the reason for the season. Now, people get in debates all the time. You know, I see signs, Xmas and all that. I actually want to go up and ask them, what is Xmas? What's an Xmas tree? Because there is no Christmas without Christ. Did you hear me? There is no Christmas or there is no celebration of Christ without Christ. There's no celebration without Christ in it. There's no Christmas without Christ because Jesus is the reason for this season. And man, the adversary is doing a, a, a crafty work on trying to get people to get so skewed away and get so hung up on the on a date that 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 people are either dogmatic and thought he was born on the 25th that's why we got to celebrate him on the 25th or he wasn't born on the 25th so we're not going to celebrate christmas at all i mean man people get you know they major on the minors and at the end of the day there's only one thing that matters was christ born and the answer to that question is yes 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 and again i say yes when was he born? Probably around, you know, August, September time frame. You know, if you do go back and do the calculations from the time that John the Baptist, who was his cousin, was born. So let's uh, get major on the minors. Let's just major on the fact that he was born and that's all that matters to us. So why do we celebrate? What's the purpose of the mass? The celebration. The celebration is all about Christ. Christ, the son of God. Christ the son of the living God. And we thank him God for it every single day. So on behalf of Pastor Joanne and myself and the entire United Nation, from the very beginning, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a blessed and prosperous new year. Now, we would like to also invite you tomorrow morning, we'll be having our special Christmas Day celebration at 9 a.m. Central Time, uh, as you were, 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, where we'll be presenting the gospel uh, to you in a way, man, I've never preached this type of message on a Christmas Sunday, so it's going to be good. You want to make sure you plan to be there. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump into the message tonight. This is going to be a good one. It's always good to be uh, whatever God has to say. So we're going to go ahead and jump into it now in the name of Jesus by making our declaration in according to Isaiah 61 and 1, which says this. It says that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captain of the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of jewel for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old waste, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolation of many generations. Father, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise today. We thank you, Father God, for this opportunity in your word. We thank you that our preaching and teaching will not be with enticing words of man's wisdom, but Father, let it be in demonstration of spirit and power. Let my tongue be the pen of a ready writer, writing the very oracles of your words upon the tablets of your people's hearts. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, I declare that our faith will not lie in the wisdom of men, but in the demonstration of spirit and power. Holy Spirit, move up and down this airway. Touch each and every household. Touch each and every life. That's, and touch each and every person who's listening to this message, watching this message right now in the name of Jesus. 
I declare that burdens will be removed and yokes will be destroyed as a result of the anointing that is on your word. Father God, I thank you for it. I honor you. I praise you. I covenant with you for miracles, signs, and wonders as we speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Let us all say amen. Now, we've been talking about over the last few weeks, talking about the great pretender, and this may be the, the end of that series. I'm not real, I'm not 100% sure, but this is the installment he's giving us today. Now, it's interesting because we're celebrating the fact that Jesus was born. And we're celebrating the fact because according to John chapter 10, verse 10, and according in the Amplified, it says the thief talking about the adversary, talking about Satan, he only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I came I came. The whole purpose of me coming was that you might have life in abundance to the full until it overflows. Say that with me. Having life in abundance to the full until it overflows. The whole purpose of Jesus coming, the whole purpose of his birth coming was so that you and I could have life in abundance to the full until it overflows. See, most people believe that Jesus came, God sent Jesus into the world to condemn the world. But in fact, according to John chapter three, verse 17, it says that God, for God did not send his son Jesus into the world to, uh, in order to judge it, to reject it, to condemn it, to pass sentence on it. But in fact, he sent him into the world that, that the world might be saved, the world might find salvation, healing, wholeness, deliverance, and, and, and freedom and soundness through Jesus himself. See, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. In fact, he came into the world that the world through him might be saved, healed, set free, delivered, made whole, and sound. Can I get one amen out there for that? See, the thing about it is, is is, is this, there is a masquerade that's going on. There is a masquerade. I call it the ultimate masquerade party because, man, when we, when we talk about it today, you're going to be like, whoa, whoa, what? How, how did all that go on and not not see it? Well, we're going to see exactly why people can't see that there's a great masquerade going on. A great, in fact, we call it the great masquerade party because you've got the, the ultimate puppeteer and he's doing his little tricks right before, it is, not, he, he not even trying to hide it. He's doing it right before your eyes, but because you cannot see his hand at work, you, can, you may not understand him because he disguises himself. In fact, the word masquerade itself means disguise, to disguise yourself. When you go to a masquerade party, everybody has on what? A mask. They also have on costumes. What? To conceal their identity. You know, it's interesting that even in the military, camouflage, the whole reason why you wear camouflage is so that you can blend in and not be seen. See, your enemy, when they see you because you have on camouflage, you know, I have on what's known as urban camis. The reason why they're, they're black, white, and gray is to demonstrate it's urban, which means it's somewhere in, in, in the streets, it's somewhere in the cities where you've got what? Black asphalt. You have 
uh, buildings and all that are made of concrete. So you put on the camouflage, you know, to have the real camouflage, you do your whole face up and everything to really sell it. But also the goal is, is for, with a camouflage uh, type of military uniform is for deception to hide and to protect soldiers and equipment from the enemy. It's the ultimate way to mask your location, your movement, and your identity from your enemy. Can I tell you this? Satan is the ultimate camouflage because he, he what he wants to do, he wants to mask his location, his movements, and his identity. So before you even realize what he's doing in your life, he's already tore your life up from the uh, tore it up from the floor up. Your life is so messed up, and you're wondering, man, how did I miss? How could I not see it? Because He's crafty. In fact, it says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 how he was the most crafty, subtle, and cunning of all. Now, that word crafty simply means cunning, artful, skillful in devising and pursuing a scheme by deceiving the others uh, by taking advantage of their ignorance. See, what you don't know will hurt you. What you don't know, can, he will take what it is that you don't know and use it against you and, and confuse you and make you think that his right is wrong and your right, that your right is wrong and that his wrong is right. In fact, he's not only crafty, but he's subtle, which means he's sly. He's slick in his design. Let's go ahead and find out exactly how he did it all the way back in the book of Genesis, which really explains the whole purpose of why Jesus had to come in the first place. Now, I'm reading out of uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 out of the Amplified, and it says this. Now, the serpent, and I want you to hold, write, circle that in your Bible if you can. Write that down and highlight it. The serpent was more subtle. He was more sly in design and artful and cunning and crafty taking advantage of people's ignorance, he says, than any other living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. Again, write that circle there. It says, and he, talking about Satan, who was using the body of the serpent because the adversary, no one has expression in the earth without a physical body. A spirit does not have expression in the earth without a physical body. God did not have expression in the earth without a physical body in the person of Adam and in Eve. Let's continue to go on. He says, and Satan said to the woman, to Eve, he says, can it really be that God has said you should not eat from every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the, of, of the garden except the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. He says, because God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, because, but unless you die. The serpent said to her, you're not going to die. What is he doing? He's saying what God said wasn't true. See, see, when what the adversary does, he, what he, he cannot create anything new. He just takes what already is and puts a twist on it. 
He said to the woman, he says, you should not surely die. He says, for God knows. He says that in the day that you eat it, you, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil, blessing and calamity. Now, what he said was partially true. He says, because what they what, what think about it is they were already like God. Remember Genesis 1, 26, God says, well, let's make man in our image, in our likeness. So they was already like God. The only thing that they, they but they only knew good. They only knew God's way of doing things. But the adversaries, what he did is he took what God said and he put just enough twist on it to make Eve think God had not gave him the full deal. How many times has, has, has that happened to you? You was praying, God gave you a word and, 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 and uh, you begin to walk out in what it is God says. And then the adversary said, that God didn't really mean that. God didn't really mean he was going to heal you. God didn't really mean he was going to deliver you. God didn't really mean he was going to save your children. God didn't really mean he was going to deliver your, your family member. And, and what you did is if you're not wise to his deception, then you will take what he says, hook, line, and sinker. And guess what you would do? You will turn your back on God and follow after what the adversary says. And you will find out that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Now, mind you, Eve added something to it that God didn't say. God says the day that you eat of it, he never said anything about touching. And see, sometimes what happens is we touch and play with things long enough until we say, well, I touched it and nothing happened. And that's what she did. She touched it, nothing happened and everything. So if touching it, nothing happened, then eating it, nothing's going to happen. Well, let's continue to go on and what, find out what happened. He says, for God, as adversary says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. In other words, you, you not your physical eyes, because our eyes will, your spiritual eyes will be open. And he says, and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil, blessing and calamity. And when the woman saw, now she's using her physical eyes, she saw that the tree was desired in order to, to uh, um, saw that the tree was good, suitable and pleasant for food, and that it was delightful to look at. She had lust of the flesh. She thought it was good for food, lust of the eyes. It was good to look upon and, but here comes the pride of life. And, 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 and if she ate of it, it would make one wise. She was already like God. She knew she knew all things. And whatever she did not know, during the walks, through the cool of the day, that God would be more than willing to share with her. But she leaned to her own understanding. And that's what the adversary wants you and I to do. He wants us to lean to our own understanding. See, when you're following God, you have to be like a soldier. What does a soldier do? A soldier waits for instruction. And the moment the instruction is given, the soldier salutes, yes, sir, aye, sir. And they operate according to the orders and instructions that have been given to them. But when, what the adversary wants you to do, he wants you to lean to your own understanding. He wants you to reason it out in your own mind what makes sense to you. Apart from what it is God says, apart, of what it, uh, uh, apart from what it is his word says, he says he wants to, he's disguising like he's doing it for, trying to tell you this for your good, when in fact he already knows it's going to be to your detriment. Can I get one amen out there? Now, he says that he, so she looks at it, it's good for food. She, she looks at it, it's pleasant to the eyes, 
and she's thinking about it. Hey, it's going to make one wise. So what does she do? She took of his fruit. She ate it. And then she turned and gave it to her husband who was standing right next to her, who never said a word the whole time this temptation was going on. And man, whenever you see uh, uh, somebody who's being tempted, when you see somebody who's getting off or being led astray as a brother, as a sister, as, as a mother, as a father, as, as a husband, as a wife, your responsibility is speak the truth in love to them to get their eyes off of the distraction and get their eyes back on what it is that God's word has to say. She took him, she ate him, she take and gave some to her husband and he did eat. And then just like what the adversary said, their eyes were both open. And what did they find out? They found out they were naked. Now, mind you, if you read back when God had originally created Adam and Eve, they were already, they both knew that they were naked. They were naked, but they were not ashamed. But as soon as they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the very thing that God said was going to happen. He says, the moment you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. In other words, you shall surely separate yourself from my way of doing things. You will separate yourself from my nature. And guess what you would do? You will take on another nature that you know not of. And that's the part that the adversary did not tell him. He will always promise you things far more than what it is he can deliver. And it's going to cost you much more than you ever thought sin has a price. It's going to cost you more than what it is that you believe you're going to get out of it. In fact, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is, is, is death, but God says the gift of God is eternal life. So they, they partook of the fruit, their eyes was open, they realized, man, we naked. And the first thing they did, they, they took on the nature of the adversary, which is shame. They took on the nature of the adversary, which is shame, and they ran and they covered themselves because they realized that they were naked. How many times have we all done things and realized that we, we got off, and when we got off, we became ashamed. We felt guilt. We felt condemnation. Can I tell you, none of that came from God. God does not use shame. God does not use condemnation. God does not use guilt. What he uses conviction. And, his, and he, what he does is he, he wants to convince you that there is a better way. He wants to convince you that his way is true. He wants to convince you not through calamity, not through destruction, not through chaos, but through his word as a result of his love. Now, so what some of the names that are some of the adjectives are descriptions of the adversary. He's he's cutting. He's crafty, which means he's he, he plays on people's ignorance. He, he, he's and he's subtle. He's sly by design. He's very skillful in what it is that he's doing. He's very intentional. In fact, he was also called an accuser and a slanderer. Now, an accuser, what does an accuser do? An accuser tries to charge to charge with the fault or to blame. What did he what did he try to do? He tried to charge what God said was not true. He tried he actually was accusing God of lying. He told you this, but see, he really, really what he's doing, he's hiding something from it. I'm he's blaming God for hiding stuff from them, keeping stuff from them, because he did they he did not want them to be like God. That's what he told he tried to convince the woman and her husband. 
He don't want you to be like him, knowing the difference between good and evil. So what he also, he was an accuser. He's also a slanderer. A slanderer is one who, a slander is a, is a false tale or report maliciously ordered. And it, 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 malicious, it was deceitful. There was no truth in what it is he said. And, he, and the whole purpose of the slander is he wants to attend uh, injury. He wants to injure the reputation of another by lessening them, the, their esteem with a fellow citizen. So he wanted to lower Adam and Eve's perception of God. That God lies. He he has no integrity. He doesn't mean what he says. He might say that, but he didn't mean that for you. He meant that for somebody else. And he's still doing it today. I know many people who have got upset, mad, and turned their back away from the one person, the one source that can help them simply because they bought into the adversary's lie. God does not, they, God, the adversary says, God don't love you. You did too many things. In fact, there was a program. I'm not going to tell you what that program is. There was a program this last week that they put a, a scene in this program that tried to, try to, try to uh, see like God glories in your sickness and disease. Ladies and gentlemen, God gets no glory out of you being sick and in disease. God gets no pleasure in you having sickness and disease. In fact, he he was so wanted you wanted you to be delivered from sickness and disease that part of the kingdom of God mandate is to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Jesus took 39 stripes plus one for every sickness and every disease. In fact, it says in Isaiah 53 and 5, by his stripes, we are healed. So where is he going to get the sickness and disease from? He gets no glory, but the adversary has got people to buy into that lie. Even people sitting in the church every Sunday saying, God, God will get more glory if I, if I endure this sickness because he's trying to teach me something and help me to be strong. Well, honey, what happens if you die before you get the message, uh, the other person gets the message? You would have suffered in vain. That is not God's plan. How do you know that the adversary is an accuser and he's a slanderer, and which is one of his disguises? He disguises like he's good, he's for you, but he's really against you. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says this. It says, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brother has been thrown down. So Satan has been thrown down. And what he does, he accuses them before God day and night. So the adversary will try to lead you into sin just so he can go before the high courts of God and accuse you before God as to, hey, Billy did this. He doesn't qualify for healing. Bobby did this. So they don't qualify for deliverance. And he's accusing you before day and, uh, day and night. That, if you go back and read the story of Job, he was accusing Job before God. And then he turned around and was accusing God about Job. God, he only does that because you do such and such. If you do this, then he's going to do this. If you do this, God, then, then Job's going to do this. He only does it because of this. And he only does those things, God, because you got to hedge your protection around. But if you take that away from him, then he's going to cut 
curse you to your face. Now, there was no evidence that Job was ever going to do that. In fact, when Satan began to do the things he did against Job, because Job opened up the gate, uh, the, the door for him to do it, because he says in Job chapter 3, 25, that which I fear the most is what's come upon me. So Job bought into the adversary's lies and began to do things not out of faith, but out of fear. And, and it opened up the door, but the adversary still accused Job before God. And Dennis began to accuse God. Well, God, he's only doing that because you're doing this. In other words, he's trying to be like his nature. He's a snake. He's a serpent. He's a lie. But I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you can overcome him today. How do you overcome him? You can overcome him because it tells you here in verse in, in verse number 11. He says, and they, talking about the people, overcame the adversary, overcame the serpent uh, because of the blood of Jesus, because of the blood of the lamb, and because of the word of their testimonies. And they did not love their lives to the death. When the adversary begins to tell you his lie, that God's not going to do it for you this time, that Jesus was not born, and that he's not, and all those things that that preacher's been telling you is a lie, and you don't qualify. You can boldly stand up and say, because of the blood of Jesus, I've already overcome. Because of the blood of Jesus, I'm already successful. Because of the blood of Jesus, I'm already cleansed. Because of the blood of Jesus, I'm already whole. Because of the blood of Jesus, I'm already redeemed. Because of the blood of Jesus, I have been made free. In fact, Satan, I have authority over you, and I command you to shut your mouth and get out. And guess what it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8? It says, he says this, he says, or as you were, in James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, and when, you, and when you submit to God, get under God's mission, and you resist the devil by resisting him and you tell him to flee, he has to go. He has no choice. In fact, it says in Amplify, he will run and start terror. But he wants to convince you. He want, he has this big disguise like he's the big bad wolf and he's going to huff and he's going to puff and he's going to blow your house down. But guess what? The truth of the matter is, is if you're in Christ, greater is he that's on the inside of you than he that's in the world. And because you are in Christ, whatever comes against you, just because the weapon is formed in the corners, Isaiah 54, 17, because no weapon that's formed against you, didn't say the weapon wouldn't be formed, but it says no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue rolls against you in judgment. You shall condemn it in the name of Jesus. But you got to open up your mouth and you got to say something because in accordance to glory to God, you have to open up your mouth and you have to say something because if you sit there with your lips tucked tight, so tight, like you ate a bag of lemons and don't say anything and just let those thoughts keep going on your mind, the adversary will wear your head out and then he will try to convince you that the reason why you're going through that is because God is the one doing it to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, God does not use chaos and destruction. God does not use calamity. God's thoughts towards you in accordance to uh, Jeremiah 29 and 11. God's thought towards you is good. He only ha he has a purpose. He has a plan. He has a desire he, from the foundation of the world for your life. He says, but you have to stop buying into the disguise or the masquerade of the adversary who's trying to convince you that God is not for you, but he's against you. God is, is for you. He has a great plan in store for you. He only has good thoughts that he thinks towards you. 
but the adversary will lie to you. He, he's a liar. He's a murderer. He's an accuser. He's a destroyer. But guess what? He can't destroy you if you're in Christ. He can't destroy you if you, you operate in the authority that's been given to you. He can't destroy when you submit yourself to God. You resist the adversary and he must flee. In fact, even when Adam and Eve messed all the way up and the adversary was convinced that he had Adam and Eve and that he had he had gotten all the authority that God had given to Adam, the adversary believed he had already received it and it was his and he was going to rule and he was going to reign and he was going to have people to bow down and to worship him because that was the reason why he got kicked out of heaven in the first place. But can I tell you something? God already had a solution before you ever realized you had a problem. I said God already had the solution before you ever realized you had a problem. And he told the adversary right after he did what he did. He he boy he was who he was he was dusting himself off. He was feeling kind of good about himself. He said, Oh, I don't did it to him now. I already got it over on him now. He says, I've won and God has lost and I took back his greatest creation. But God said this in verse and in uh, Genesis 3, verse 15, he says this. God says, I already have a plan. He already had a plan, and he made a promise to restore man back to where he was before. And that's the that's the word of the Lord for you today. God already had a plan to restore you back to the place, no matter how far you have fallen, no matter how far you have gotten off, no matter how big of a masquerade or disguise the adversary has had you blinded to, today is your day of new beginnings. Today is your day one. God said this in verse 15 in Genesis chapter 3, 15, he says this. He says, and I will put enmity between you, talking to the serpent, talking to the adversary. I'm going to put enmity between the adversary, Satan, between you and the woman. The very one that you used to try to, try to destroy my plan is the very one I'm going to use to bring back use that's going to be part of my restoration plan. See, it says it so well in Genesis. It says, what the adversary meant for destruction, God turned it to my good joke. Uh, as you were, Joseph said that to his brother, you meant it for evil. You meant it for my destruction. You meant it for my harm. He says, but God took it. What you meant for destruction, God has turned it to good. And this is what happened. He says, and he says, and, and what's going to happen? Because I'm going to use the seed of that woman and the and your between your seed Satan and and her seed and he shall bruise you you know you will bruise his heel but he is going to crush your head in other words you may bruise his body for a moment, but he's going to raise back up and he's going to crush. He's going to destroy that word. Head is talking about the authority. He's going to crush the authority that you believe that you have, that you wrongfully got. He says, but right now you think you won. Right now you think you got it. He says, but I already have a plan to restore him back into right relationship with me to restore back to him life. Remember it says John 10, 10, Jesus came that we might have life in abundance to the full, to the overflows. I'm not just talking about any kind of life. I'm talking about the God kind of life. I'm talking about the Zoe kind of life. The life, the way that God intended for man to have before the foundation of the world. But when he first created man, and in fact, he says in Genesis chapter 126, how he made man to have rulership. You were supposed to rule. You were supposed to reign. It says, and then let God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion or let them have rulership or let them have authority over the 
the fish in the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the birds and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You were supposed to have rulership. You were supposed to reign because when God created the heaven and the earth, he, he establishes kingdom in the earth. Kingdom means uh, is when a king's is a king's influence over a territory and packing it with his will, his purposes, his intents, his values, his morals and lifestyle so that he might produce a community of citizens who reflect the king's nature and his culture. What did he tell Adam and Eve to do? He says, I want you to, he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to always be producing. I want you to, to multiply. I want you to always be increasing. I want you to replenish. Re means you're going to fill and you're going to refill. And he says, but I also want you to subdue, to have authority over the earth have authority so in order to replenish what does that mean you're going to multiply more of those just like you what was adam and eve's responsibility what was their their mandate to multiply replenish make more godly seeds after you who operate in according to god's image according to god's likeness to in to have rulership to reign to always be increasing always be producing Always be refilling and filling and refilling and to conquer, to have authority and rule over the entire earth. That was God's mandate. But what did Adam and Eve do? They rebelled against what God said. They rebelled against the government that, it had, uh, that God had established in the earth. And, and what did they do? A rebel seemed to me. They revolted from the government to which they had allegiance. They had allegiance to God because they was created in God's image and his likeness. And he placed them within the kingdom of God, which is uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, operating on, uh, on earth according to the kingdom of heaven, which is the government of heaven using God's system, governing system, to establish his lifestyle, his nature, and his culture within the earth. They revolted. They turned. They turned away from what it is God said, even though all they knew was God. You know what? When, 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 when the earth, when all it comes to the, to in the end, and we're rapidly getting closer to the end. When we get closer to the end, there's going to be a thousand year reign. And the, all the people on the earth are going to know is just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Same situation that was in the Garden of Eden. All they will know is Jesus. And he will rule and reign for a thousand years. But after that, the adversary will have an opportunity to be loosed, uh, loosed for a while. Because he's going to be bound up and changed for those thousand years. Do you know, even though... After they all they knew for over a thousand a thousand years was just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When the adversary is loose for a small season, he will have got those people to rebel and to revolt against him. The, the, the one thing that they've known for over a thousand years, there will be it says like the numbers of the sands of, of, of sand. That's how many numbers of people who only knowing. Christ, only knowing God's way of doing things, how cunning and crafty the adversary is to, to try to turn them away, get them to revolt or rebel against God's way of doing things. See, the things of this world, this world is driven by money, materialism, and greed. But God is, he says, and God, in the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace 
and the Holy Spirit. When you're operating according to the, to the kingdom of God, you have righteousness, right standing with God, joy unspeakable, and peace where there's nothing missing, nothing broken, and nothing lacking. Everything with God begins with the word. The adversary knew that everything with God began with the word. When he came to Adam and Eve, he came. He didn't come to them with, with calamity. He came to them with words. He knew that the decision was whose words were you going to believe? Whose words, whose report will you believe? Whose report will you receive? And even in Isaiah said, they have not all believed our report because faith, uh, full, uh, full assurance, total alliance, total dependency comes by hearing. So the more that you hear the word, the more that you hear words, that whatever words you're listening to, whether it be words of God, words of the adversary, words of this world system, words concerning the kingdom of God, whatever you give ear to the most is what you will, is what you will believe, is what it is that you receive it. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more you hear the word of God, the more faith you will have in the things of God. But the more you listen to the things of the world, the more you will have faith in the things of the world, the more you have faith in the things of the adversary, the more that you have faith in the things that the, that is going on in this world system because death and life are in the power of the tongue death and life for so when according to proverbs 18 and 21 death and life is in the power of the tongue so depending on what words you are releasing out of your mouth your words have creative power your words are either producing life your words are either producing death your words are either speaking in agreement with god or your words are speaking in agreement with the adversary there is no in between there is no half adversary have God because that's called mixing and mixing will not produce a harvest it will not produce a harvest but when you speak and according to the word of God when you speak and using the authority that's been given to you by almighty God when you have realized that you're because you have received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior because he was born it's a sign that God kept his word it's a sign that he's a he's a promise keeper it's his sign that he, he will not he cannot lie if he said it will he not do it if he spoke it shall he not make it good he cannot lie in fact, it also says, I'm going to tell you how powerful your mouth is. Your mouth, according to uh, Matthew 15 and 11, your mouth uh, is not what goes into your mouth, which was defiles a man, but it was what comes out of a mouth, which defiles a man. That's what Jesus says. It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. It's what goes, comes out of your mouth because all kind of, 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 of bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness and adulteries and murders and all those things are things that's in your heart. Why? Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 12, 34. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And, and, and out of the abundance of your heart, it says this. It says, for your words, Matthew chapter 12, 37, your word, by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. The adversary, through his disguise, he wants to pervert. He wants to get you to turn. He wants you to, to take truth and turn it into a lie. In fact, it says he is a liar. He's a murderer. It says in John chapter, he says the adversary was a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. There, He, he cannot tell the truth there because when he starts to talk, 
When he begins to talk, you know it's a lie. Why? Because there is no truth. And it says whenever he begins to speak, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and he is the father of lies. In fact, you even talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the birth, even when he realized that God had already created a plan to restore man back to him, he already he put in a plan to try to kill him. He tried he did it twice. First, he tried to do it with Pharaoh during Moses' time. Pharaoh had, had ministered, has given a decree. He was so afraid of somebody taking over his kingdom that he was afraid. So what he did, he said, I want you to kill all the youth. With their, told the Hebrew women, hey, help. When the women are getting ready to have birth, this is in Exodus chapter 1, when they get ready to have birth, if it's a male, kill him. But if it's a female, let him live. He also tried to do the thing with, with, with Herod. When Herod knew that the birth of, did the birth of Jesus had he had already come, the adversary still believed he had an opportunity, a chance to squash him out. And what did he do? He but he Harold tried to act like he was gonna try to worship him, but his real intent was to murder him so he would not steal or take away his kingdom. Again, the adversary needs somebody to yield themselves to his 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 trickeries, his craftiness his cunningness, his demonic schemes in order for him to get expression in the earth. So what did Harold do? He went around and he told him to kill all. He says this, when he realized, Harold realized in Matthew chapter 10, uh, as you were Matthew chapter two, verse 16, when he realized that he had been tricked by the Magi, the, he did what he did. He became so enraged because he was trying to get to Jesus because he, he knew that he was the king he was coming to establish his kingdom, and Harold did not want that to happen. So he sent and he slew all the males who were in, in Bethlehem and all of its vicinities from two years old and under, according to the time that was determined by the Magi. By the time the Magi see, Jesus was already two years old. He wasn't a cute little baby lying in the manger. That was the shepherds. It took the Magi two years to find Jesus at home. The shepherds were the ones who found him lying in the manger. Please go back and read the full story. Not what you see on a little on some of these little Christmas, but go back and find out because Jesus, by the time the magi, when the shepherds seen him, Jesus had already been born. By the time the magi seen him, uh, they are the wise men, as they call, they, they were already, he, Jesus was already two years old before they ever seen him. Go back and read it for yourself. Again, you have to make sure that you, you got to be intentional about what it is that you believe. You have to be intentional about what it is that you receive because there is a spirit of delusion. The adversary is using his disguise as a spirit of delusion. And this is what he wants you to do. And this is, this is one more point. What he wants you to do is this. He wants to convince you that right. He wants to, this is what he says. And this is in Isaiah 5, 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who call darkness light and light darkness. So he's trying to convince you that his right is wrong. His, your wrong, let me say, your right is wrong and your wrong is now right. What, he, what is wrong? Because he wants to give delusion simply means a false representation, illusion, or error, a mistake, uh, proceeding from false views. So he wants to 
disguised like he's trying to help you, but he's really there to hurt you. It comes in shapes of females who you know they don't believe anything like you believe. You know they're not trying to follow your Jesus, but yet you look at those lips, hips, and fingertips, and females, you looking at him, he's tall, dark, and handsome, and you and he oh, he can shine na 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 na. He sound like he he he's speaking in tongues, or and he ain't going to nobody's church, but I can get him saved. Now what will happen is he will lead you gradually lead you astray. That's what disguises do. Disguises seem one way, but they will gradually lead you astray. It says in the last days, one of the great indicators of the last days is the level of deception that's going to be in the earth. Wow. But guess what? We got good news because Jesus was born. The promise that God made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He fulfilled that promise when he, at the birth of Jesus in the manger. And even though the adversary tried to disguise himself and try to try to kill Jesus or kill his lineage multiple times leading up to his birth, he was still not able to destroy him. And even after Jesus was born, the adversary was still trying to snuff his life out. But God had a hedge of protection about it. But Joseph and his mother Mary had to be led by the Holy Spirit on how to, where to go, when to go, when to do, not to do, and, and where to be because the adversary was going to try to wipe him out. But he could not just like he cannot wipe you out. I want to give you the, the greatest gift of all that you can give someone this season. You can give them the gift of Jesus. Now, in accordance to Romans chapter 10, verses 8, 9, and 10, it says it this way. It says, <laughs> glory to God. He says, he says this. He says, the word of God is near you. Remember, he says, everything in the kingdom, whether in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness, all begins with the word. The word of God is near you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. It's the word of faith, which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Healed, set free, delivered, and made whole. Remember, that's the whole reason why God sent Jesus to earth in the first place. Was that through him you might be saved. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Remember, the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. The heart. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth, confession or acknowledgement is made unto salvation. Pray this prayer with me on this on this Christmas Eve, and let's start it off. Let's let's end the year on a high note and go into the a new year, man. On a, letting this be our day one. Say this with me, dear Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus, I do believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe he died for me on the cross and carried my sins for me. Right now, I accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I turn from sin right now. I receive your offer of forgiveness right now. Jesus, you are now Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I am now born again. I'm now back in right relationship. I'm now a citizen of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. It is God's desire that you live life in abundance to the full 
until it overflows. Now that you are back in right relationship with him, what do you need to do? You need to get in a word-based church, a, word, a church that teaches you about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, about the kingdom of God, about the love of God. We know that Ignite Depot is such a place. So we want to give you an opportunity to join us here every Saturday at 6 p.m., every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear the word, a practical word concerning the kingdom of God and how to apply it in your everyday life. Now, if you can't make it on Saturdays, man, catch the rebroadcast on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Or, or, or log on to our, our uh, podcast where you can at Ignite the Two Life, Ignite the Number Two Life audio podcast and hear this message and all of the messages before that. Man, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas, a blessed and prosperous New Year. And remember this, Jesus came to give you life in abundance to the full till it overflows. And he's, we celebrate Christmas because his coming, his birth, means that God kept his promise. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Bye-bye.